This is episode 360 of the AWS podcast, released on March 15, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Leach here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined by a special guest. I'm joined by Adrian San Miguel, who's a Principal Partner Solution Architect here at AWS. Welcome to the podcast, Adrian. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming along. We're going to talk about something really interesting today. We're going to talk about managed service providers, MSPs. And this is a term that's probably a long-term industry term, but is changing its nature as the IT world changes constantly. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to maybe sit down and have a bit of a deep dive into the AWS MSP program itself uh, and just sort of what's happening more generally as well. So Adrian, maybe start with giving us a bit of a a quick summary of what is the AWS MSP program. So the AWS MSP program is the market leading program at at present in, in the realm of cloud service providers. We currently have a constituency of 144 validated consulting partners that are capable of working with customers at various points of their journey through four distinct phases. We have the the initial build and plan where a customer comes to a partner to say, I have a problem. Um, I have very poor performance in my application at the data center or in more and more instances, I have a data center lease that is ending or my data center physically won't be here in six months and I need to move out. I'd like to get to this cloud thing and would really, really like to explore you partner to help me get there. Immediately after that is the, the next phase called the, the actual migration phase where we take the things that we built, uh, the plan that we built up and begin to implement it where the rubber effectively starts to hit the road. This is where the bits begin to get incorporated in, into the infrastructure where we start writing automation and treating everything as infrastructure as code in the sense that if something were to break and go wrong, we can immediately flub it and continue forward from that point forward. And in most instances, customers are none the wiser in a positive way because the whole idea with cloud is to treat instances and assets as disposable pieces of equipment. Next phase is the more typical that is analogous to what a lot of people think with managed service providers who run and operate. This is keeping the lights on effectively, making sure that everything hums along just the way that it's supposed to. And inevitably, if something were to break, we have the capability to go in and help you fix it, establish a root cause, and then move forward. Final phase here is that of the optimization phase. This is really, really important because more and more customers are asking of AWS and their managed service providers, please help me do this better. You got me out of the data center uh, six months before it closed. We got onto AWS. Everything is running great. My developers are bugging me about wanting to do something called Kubernetes. We we would like to get off of Oracle. Um, Our EC2 instances are great, but they're super expensive. Help me write this. Help me save money or help me try the next new thing. And effectively what this does is it creates a flywheel to start the process all over again. And so when would a customer engage an MSP? What's the, you sort of talked about those phases, but is it a case that they just don't have the capacity or capability in-house or choose not to have it? Is it, is it a form of outsourcing? Help us contextualize a little bit. Sure, sure. It, it can be both, to be quite honest. It can be a sense where if I am a development shop and all I do is write really, really good code and I have a staff of very talented individuals that can write code, 
but I don't have a systems operator, systems admin type of individual to help me fix the things when they break. That would actually be a fantastic um, use case to leverage a managed service provider so that my job as a customer is just to write really good code and continue doing the best possible uh, job that I can, can be doing at writing that code versus trying to muck my way through the AWS console or CLI to build things and try to troubleshoot them when they invariably break. Uh, typically, what we also do see is the rapid experimentation. You know, one of the alluring things about the AWS cloud is being able to be super elastic on demand and get going with a, with a crazy idea at any point in time. What a lot of partners are reporting to us is that their customers are coming up to them and saying, hey, we have a problem or some customer constituency that wants to see this new feature. It's going to take us 18 months to get new hardware. Can you spin us up an account to do a proof of concept? If this works, we can continue forward as this the new account for this customer for this workload or application or project, and then use that as the proof point to win the partner additional business based off of the good the good deeds and the successful outcomes of that customer engagement. So, if they're kind of like a, a performance booster for an organization, how do next gen AWS MSPs compare or differ from traditional MSPs? Glad you asked that because it's actually something that comes up quite a bit. Um, by way of virtue, every validated AWS MSP is a next generation MSP. And by that, I mean a very, very healthy emphasis on automation. Uh, one of our partners in the program, Klatiski put it best during the reInvent 2019 session called Delivering Customer Value Through Next Gen Managed Services. The average next gen MSP in AWS is putting a very heavy emphasis on silicon over carbon and by that we mean automate everything to the point where you can't and continue iterating improving gathering information analysis so that when you do have a touch point with the customer it's something that is high value think of it almost like a paradigm shift into a consultative white glove type of approach with the added benefit of having the preponderance of information logs and history of everything happening for the customer account readily available and by that i mean Instead of the, the traditional thought of an MSP where if something breaks, you put in a ticket, somebody goes, looks at it, and they said, well, we just turned the thing off and back on again, and it worked. Here, what you're more likely to see with the next generation managed service provider is, okay, well, your EC2 instance that runs your Apache web app, it was constantly having memory leaks and high CPU. We wrote some automation to restart um, a problematic auxiliary service on another instance that you never thought about. It looks like this automation um, has resolved that issue. By the way, it also kind of looks like you're not doing things that are highly available and fault tolerant. We should have a conversation about that. The idea is to continue further optimizing and ensuring that the customer's workloads as they run, they continue to do so in a proactive manner versus a reactive manner. And you can only really do that if you value automation, you treat things as disposable as much as possible. And of course, if the ongoing education evangelization to the customers to understand why it's important to go and do these things. I, remember, so I guess it, in the past, we would think about sort of throwing people at the problem. We're now saying throw automation at the problem. Absolutely, yeah. Because one, uh, automation is significantly cheaper in almost every instance than leveraging human beings to actually go and do a thing. And a good example of this is I remember in a data center, it's a story that I, I share very, very frequently back in, in my early days in my career. Every day at 
11 p.m., I had to restart 126 servers serially, one at a time. As soon as one would come back up, wait five minutes, run some checks, move the next one. At the time, my manager did not believe in automation. He did not understand the value of automation. And every day for seven years, that was my job, starting at 11. Sounds fun. It was horrible. It was <laughs> probably about the most horrid thing you could imagine because there were lots of dull moments and lots of spare time once I got tired of doing it myself and I wrote the automation to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> but that's a completely separate story. So, but what, what I'm getting at here is this is what the customers want. They want that automation. There's no point in having somebody like myself sitting there looking at a monitoring dashboard waiting for something to break. Let the automation take care of the things that can be done. Okay, high CPU. Is this an Apache server? Yes. Is the Apache daemon still up? Yes. Is the website still responding? Yes. Okay, then continue proceeding down that uh, set of steps to really understand what it is that's broken so that if it is a real thing that is important, your human can actually go and take a look at that important thing versus spending an hour trying to figure out what it's not. Now, you mentioned the reInvent talk uh, that you gave last year. And in there, there was some some interesting data from an Ovum study that kind of mm-hmm. talks about customer challenges. Maybe unpack that a little bit for us because I think one of the things to always understand is that you know, s- solutions only come about when problems exist and it's important to understand what the problem is. So how are customers thinking about the problem domain? Sure. So what, what we're seeing universally in that uh, so direct result of that Ovum research is customers are really perturbed these days with IT security and data privacy. In fact, eight of the 10 top challenges that these customers are facing have to do with security. On this list, you don't see breakthrough support. On this list, you don't see monitoring. You, you don't see things like um, disaster recovery testing. You know, just because these things are inherently expected of the type of uh, providers that these customers are, are seeking. You know, things like IT security, governance, regulatory things, um, organizational acceptance of using the public cloud for some of the most uh, sensitive or mission critical type of applications. These are the things that that uh, rank chief among the challenges of these customers. And so based on those challenges, what are what are customers wanting from a, a best practices approach? What, is, what does good look like? So good looks like um, they're effectively looking for a high, what at one point could have been considered a hybrid MSP um, with a a bit of systems integrator, but more and more as the market is beginning to mature and the next generation management service providers starting to mature, what we're seeing is that they're quite literally looking for a next generation AWS MSP. And by that, I mean the the top five of the top uh, 11 things that these partners are, or customers are looking for in a partner, they're all effectively the same thing. Systems integration, application development, digital transformation, application management, application hosting. You know, it's effectively calling it the exact same thing. And then even further down the list, you still have things like infrastructure modernization, application modernization, and professional services. Effectively, this is uh, customers in the market telling us that we want an MSP that can build us something fantastic that'll help us uh, get to the point where we can continue to grow and evolve our business and focus specifically on business outcomes instead of throwing technology or bodies at the problem. And after you've done that, please run it for us. So it's not just the build, it's the operate piece as well that often is part part of the puzzle. 
Absolutely. And, and what we are seeing, this is part and parcel to many next generation MSPs uh, disrupting the market in a sense where if I'm a traditional uh, integrator and I do a great job of building things, eventually that customer is going to ask, start asking questions of, can you run this for me? Can you maintain it? Can you support this for me? And largely the answer to that is no, or if it is a yes, it's on a uh, potentially on a time and materials basis. It could be a small pod or a group of individuals that are dedicated to this one customer. But what we're seeing as these managed service providers are becoming more and more SI in nature, these customers are starting to gravitate more and more to these type of partners. So you talked about a large number of MSP partners that exist, but how do new partners become an AWS MSP? Like what's what's the journey look like? Sure. There's uh, a fantastic document that our business development manager, at least live, put together that was uh, debuted at reInvent. There's a total of 12 steps to this to this journey, and it actually starts very, very simply, simply with a conversation with your partner development manager uh, to really understand what the market is seeing, how to uh, set up the initial infancy of what a practice would look like, write that business plan, get a business model going. Um, have some realistic conversations around milestones and timelines. And from there, there's a handful of other things that can be done as, as well as uh, engaging with our navigate track, downloading, leveraging, and really understanding what the MSP checklist is. And what this is, is a detailed document that outlines each of the controls that we require of validated partners in the program. So this is actually a really, really good discussion point for partners to have internally so that they can understand and comprehend before they sit down and begin building a practice, the things that are going to be required of them to obtain the designation. So let's then, let's then talk about, I guess, where the rubber hits the road. Let's maybe share a story about a, a customer and a AWS MSP partner that worked well together and, and maybe share something that you've got sort of deep insight into so we can, we can tell the story warts and all so that people can understand how, how it works, what the engagement looks like, what some of the benefits were, maybe what some of the challenges were too. Sure, sure. I'm um, ha happy to, to share that. There's actually quite a few that come to mind, but um, considering that I just had pizza for dinner last night and from, from this establishment as well, it's a fantastic story to share. Um, so last year at the Singapore Summit, when I spoke, I spoke with a partner by the name of Blaze Clan and they came on stage to share a wonderful outcome that happened with Domino's Pizza out of Malaysia uh, just before the Malaysian general election at the last cycle. So effectively, Domino's contracted Blaze Plan, uh, just like, as I mentioned, with that SI, tip of the spear with consultancy to state, hey, we, we have a situation where we would like to run a really, really aggressive campaign. We would like for you to help us ensure that regardless of the volume of orders that come through or the interest of this campaign, that we stay online. It is imperative. So Blaze Plan worked with them over the course of about a quarter to do all the requirements gathering and start working their way through the reference architecture. And once that was approved, they went ahead and rolled that out, started doing uh, a variety of testing, but they never really understood the full scope of what it was that they were trying to build. So fast forward towards right before the election, Domino's Malaysia launches a very, very interesting campaign to say, hey, this is the election of the century. We're going to watch it all together. And regardless of what happens, we're going to have some good food. And effectively put their money where their mouth is to state if there's any delays or problems with the order, your order is free. Mm. So net result of this was 26 million orders for pizza were placed on election day. Not a single one was lost. Not a single one was late. 
Not a single one um, resulted in any downtime for the partner or the customer. So the campaign was a rousing success, and it really, really goes to show the type of things that these customers are looking for with their MSP partners. You know, it could have been phrased with, well, we just want a web app that can do a million orders. That, that's relatively pedestrian um, in, in most instances for a high volume type of event like this. But when they paired it with the statement of no matter what, we cannot go down. That changes the conversation to state, okay, well, are we talking three nines of availability, five, nine, 14? You know, it begins to really rapidly scale and ratchet up with the amount of technology and how the technology is leveraged. So without being able to have that consulting muscle on the forefront and on the back end to be able to have that support ability and have the intimate knowledge of how everything is built and why it works the way it works, this couldn't have worked out for, for the customer in this regard. It's an interesting case. And that's a, a lot of pizza. I guess for reference, that's more pizzas than there are people in Australia. So, <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, and on a good day, probably about half as much as I would need to uh, to feed, <laughs> feed most of the people here in uh, the Austin, Texas area. <laughs> very true, very true. So if I'm a customer, how do I find an MSP that suits me? So there's a couple of resources that are readily available to, to any customer that would like that. You know, first and foremost, I would encourage you to work with your local AWS account representative team. And also, um, I would encourage you to make use of something, uh, an external facing tool called the Partner Solution Finder. In there, you can specifically tell it, I'm looking for a management provider, for example, with the security competency that is lo located in, a in ANZ uh, that has local support. And then continue further whittling down exactly where your criteria are. And as you continue whittling down, you have the, the very clear ability to see as you continue further filtering, um, to get to a more hyper-specific subset of partners that meet your requirements. So you get to sort of slim, slim down to a short list and then maybe uh, reach out to those folks and have a chat. Yes, yes, absolutely. And what, what you can do, what is a very powerful thing to do is in this partner solution finder, there are also links to case studies, testimonials, customer references, effectively the exact same thing that I just mentioned about Blaze Clan and Domino's Pizza is located in the partner solutions finder for each of our partners. And it's important to call out that at every full audit cycle, we are requesting that partners provide net new case studies and customer references. That way, as new customers or potential customers and prospects are looking for that, that partner to help them along in their journey, they have something that's, that's potentially relevant, very recent, and has a very clear measured output as the, the somewhat to the engagement. Very nice, very nice. If you want more information about this, you can visit the website, adibus.amazon.com slash partner slash MSP. There'll be links in the show notes. Adrian, thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, un unpacking that a little bit for us. Yeah, absolutely happy to to join you. Um, and by, by all means, if there are any specific questions about the AWS MSP program, if there's any um, interesting tidbits or if there's feedback that you'd like to share about any of the partners in the program, by all means, feel free to reach out to our email address, which is aws-msp at amazon.com, and we'll be happy to work with you. Great stuff. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is a place to do that. And until next time, keep on building.